0: Welcome to Calvary Chapel Sebastian Podcast. We hope you're blessed by this message. All right, well, you're going to need a Bible, so raise your hand if you need a Bible. We'll put one in there. You are used to bringing Bibles on Wednesday now, probably, so um, we like to mark them up. We like to make notes. I encourage you to take notes, so uh, raise your hand if you need a Bible, and uh, if you need note note sheets, just raise your hand, and uh, Johnny will put one in your hand. By the way, Johnny's going to Africa with me as well. We are excited about that. (laughs) you should see your face johnny i love it we love you johnny god's doing wonderful works in your life all right um i want to uh i want to get you caught up we're going to be in matthew chapter 8 and uh, we entered into that last week we are going to be Uh, In Matthew chapter 8, we're going to start in verse 17, but I kind of want to do a recap. Remember, Jesus is, uh, we were in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. He taught on to be attitudes. He comes down from the mountain, and there's a crowd waiting. Last week, we saw him do some miraculous healings, and it still drew a crowd. And uh, we remember, he healed the leper. And he healed this centurion slave and he healed Peter's mother-in-law. And the interesting thing is, is that he healed three different ways and uh, each one was different. And so we talked about, uh, we, we kind of put it in our mind that if we do something or have enough faith, or if, if you know, all these things in Jesus, I love what he does. He hits the scene he goes, you know what? It's just, I'm going to heal you, and I'm going to do this, and he does it to prove his deity. Remember, we talked about that, that Jesus's ministry was to preach the gospel so that those would come to know and then believe, and so sometimes he would choose to heal, and um, we discovered there's 37 miracles in the New Testament, and so we talked a little bit about that. There's a slide up there. If you want to check into any of these teachings on Wednesday nights, you can just check out our Sebastian podcast, um, and you can... Click on that. We're going to be launching a brand new website uh, on every campus. It'll be super easy for you to listen to the audio, um, and one day we'll have cameras in here too, so that'll be pretty cool. Although I won't like that because we'll have to change everything. But um, but anyhow, so just check that out sometime if you're driving and uh, you're bored, you can check that out and get caught up. All right. So the recap is: I just want to put this first slide up. Jesus has the power to heal people. Remember, church yesterday. Today and tomorrow. Don't put Jesus in a box. And that was the takeaway message because, like I said before, we have this concept of what we must do or jump through in order for Jesus to do a miracle in our life. And Jesus just chooses to do what he does, doesn't he? And how many of you are thankful that you are a product of the miracle that God has done in your lives, right? We didn't beg him for it, it's just who he is in our lives. And I'm thankful for that, and I know you are too. But tonight, we're going to go through, we're going to look at three different views of Jesus's disciples. The first one is, is we're going to see, we're going to see the disciples become wise. They're wise disciples. We're going to see that they're wavering disciples. And we're going to see that they're wondering disciples. So that should make you feel good already tonight. Anybody waver on their faith? <laughs> anybody wonder what Jesus is going to do next when you need him most? Yeah. And then also we're going to see some wise decisions that the disciples make. So we're going to begin in verse 18. I've asked you to turn there. Let's look down. We'll begin in verse 18. Everybody there with me? We can get started. All right, buckle your seatbelts. Here we go. Um, when Jesus saw the crowd around him, he gave orders to cross to the other side of the lake. And so we know that oftentimes when Jesus uh, is doing his ministry and he was healing people that he would draw crowds. And so news would travel and audience would come and they would come see this Jesus, this miracle maker that they've been hearing about. And so oftentimes Jesus would say to the disciples, let's go here, or let's go up to the mountain, or let's go across the lake. He, it's not that he didn't want to be around people, but it, you have to understand the heart of Jesus, remember he was a humble man, wasn't he? and he was filled with humility. And he wasn't out for a popularity contest. He, he didn't want the popularity for himself or the miracles that he did. He, and this is why he often would instruct his disciples to go. And I, I can imagine that he probably wants to have that conversation with his 12 disciples after an event like three healings, wouldn't you? I mean, if you and I were with Jesus today, and I saw Jesus do three miracles, by the way, I see that all the time. But like, if Jesus was really in the flesh, here, and he did miracles and he did three in a row like that. I want some one on one time with him. I want to say, like, that was cool. Like, that was good stuff, Jesus. Tell me a little bit about that, right? And I think Jesus, we see all throughout the Gospels that Jesus does take that time and, and the conversations that he has between him and the disciples are pretty hilarious at times. You know, Peter, he's always saying something uh, and sometimes he gets it right. Sometimes Jesus has to say, Peter, what is wrong with you? Did you not just see what happened here? But, um, so I think this is why he likes to get away often. But verse 19, it says, Then a teacher of the law, just underline teacher of the law. Well, that's going to be important tonight. Came to him and said, teacher. So stop right there. He recognizes Jesus as a teacher. Remember, Jesus had many names. And when he was doing his ministry on earth, they called him many things, didn't they? And so you're the son of God, you're the son of man, um, you're the chosen one, you're the Messiah. Um, and remember, Jesus was even like, who do, you, who do you say that I am? And so for this Jew, this, this Jewish person of the law, for him to call him teacher, I don't know if he sees Jesus as a Messiah or a Savior yet. But nevertheless, he says Teacher, he recognizes him as someone because he's heard about his, his ministry, he's heard about what he's been doing in the regions and how he's spreading this new gospel that is completely different than what the old testament of, of the teachers of the law knew. But he does acknowledge me, he says, he says, teacher, and this is interesting, right after that he says, I will follow you wherever you go. And so you have to understand who is coming to Jesus. Now, who was a teacher of the law? Oftentimes in the New Testament, remember, they're referred to as the scribes, the what else? The Pharisees, the Sadducees. He was he was a he was a teacher of the law. So, he could have been this big teacher. Do you remember Nicodemus? He was high up in the ranks of of, you know, in the Jewish uh, position, and he came to Jesus at night. This isn't at night, though. This is during the day. And so I want you to understand who's standing and having this conversation with Jesus. And and so I would think that he's a scribe. And remember, if you're a Jewish leader and you're walking around the streets, the temple, the synagogue, people know who you are. Remember, they would tie bells on the bottom of their robes to draw attention Their robes had three layers of linen and cloth, and it was of the utmost best fine um, cloth that they were made of. They did seek attention. We see many stories that Jesus would talk all throughout the gospel saying, you know, that these leaders would get the best seats at the table. You remember that story. And so they were always drawing attention to themselves, and they were used to that. And so um, all eyes are on them. And, And so their DNA, this man's DNA, has to be different than Jesus's, isn't it? Would you, would you agree with that? And so Jesus knows. He's like, well, what, what's this guy doing? He knows what this is, what's about to go down. But I think the question that Jesus might have is, what was the motive of this leader that he would come to Jesus? I mean, after all, if he's coming to Jesus, did he have a true conversion moment? When he says that I will follow you wherever you go, we don't know. Or maybe there was a, a, a selfish hidden motive behind this. He sees that, you know, he's coming from a temple and then not to get too much into it, but there's all kinds of layers of leadership in the local temples in, in the town. And so, you know, he sees Jesus with 12 guys. And I think maybe he says, well, if I follow Jesus, I could like be a leader and be in charge and be, you know, it'd be a good gig. And so who knows what his motives were. Maybe they were selfish, maybe they were genuine, but I love how Jesus answers him. It kind of shows that Jesus is a skeptic here too of this guy coming to him. Look what he says in verse 20. He says, Jesus replied, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the son of man has no place to lay his head. And I love that. What is Jesus really saying to this man? He's saying, you know what you're asking for? You're used to five-star situations everywhere you go. Do you know who I am? Do you know how I roll? I, my ministry is a traveling ministry. And so he's saying, you know, and most likely he's looking at this guy. He's wealthy. He was accustomed to the finer things in life. And he's looking at me. He says, look, you want to follow me? It's going to cost you everything. It's not going to be what you're used to. It's not going to be the DNA And I don't have a place. He's saying, now, obviously, Jesus had a place to lay his head. He he goes to Peter's house, remember, the last week, and he healed Peter's mother-in-law, so they stayed there. He often stayed when he came back to uh, Capernaum and different places. They got to know him. So, you know, it's not like he was homeless, was he? God always provided. But he's saying, he says, you want to follow me? It's going to cost you everything. Before you follow me... Teacher of the law, I want you to consider the cost. And so I want you to understand that Jesus really wasn't trying to discourage this man. I don't think he would discourage his followers, but he wanted to make sure that he, was, that he understood what he was about to commit to. And so the nature of Jesus's mission kept him on the move. And guess what? Anybody who chose to follow him, they kept on the move. Oftentimes in the Gospels, we see stories. You remember when he taught on um, on uh, communion and half the, you know, he's talking to the whole crowd. He says, he, you know, the crowd left when that, he says, that's a harsh teaching. The disciples left him. He had not just the 12 that followed him. He had a crowd of disciples that followed him. And so we, we find that in that story. But he's saying... Um, it's not going to be the life that you're used to, consider the cost. Now, I want you to turn to Luke. Keep your um, bookmark in Matthew. Turn to Luke chapter 14. Luke chapter 14. And, the, and, you know, the details from Dr. Luke, Luke was a doctor. I love what he says. Some people say, well, why, does, why don't the gospels all line up with the same thing? and we say this often, maybe you heard me say this before, but if I told 10 people what kind of sandwich I had for lunch today, by the time you told this half of the room, I'd probably have something completely different for lunch, right? Now, all the disciples were there together. They saw the same thing, the same healings and are telling the story here. But Dr. Luke pays attention to details. Anybody pay attention to details? You married to somebody who pays attention to details? How about when you go to clean the house? Get the toothbrush out. And it's like, what, the floor swept, we're good, right? But this is Dr. Luke. He pays attention to details. And so we're going to look at what he says in this story. And I, I love it because he's going to amplify what it costs, what it really costs to follow Jesus. And so he's going to break it down a little bit more. And before we read this, I want to say to you, and, and he's saying to all of us, before you run to the altar before you put on your Jesus t-shirt or a cross or a fish sticker on your car, before you see a miracle or hear a message and you emotionally give your life to Christ, he's saying, consider the cost. Consider the cost. And look at verse 25. We'll start in Luke 14, verse 25. Same thing, they agree. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus. And turning to them, he said... If anyone comes to me and does not, what? We'll go back to that. Does not hate his father and mother, wife, children, brothers, and sisters. Yes, even their own life. Such a person cannot be my disciple. When I read that, I, I think... I, I, I personally can't follow Jesus. That kind of contradicts everything, doesn't it? That contradicts even scripture, right? Husbands, love your wives like what? Jesus is saying, hate your wife. What, what, what's going on here? Here's, here's what I wanna say. Jesus isn't literally telling this crowd or this man, this, this leader. He's not saying, hey, hate your relatives. Because that's not the gospel message, is it? That contradicts the gospel of Jesus. He's not literally saying, hate him. What he's really saying, he's using this strong word, hate, to demonstrate you have to be committed, like 100% in, in order to follow me. You're going to consider the cost to follow me. And many times there are those of us who have decided to follow Jesus, many of us in this room have been saved. We've told our family members, and what happens next? Some of them applaud and cry and weep and send you little cards, congratulations, I've been praying forever for you. But that's not the case with every relative of ours in this room, is it? It's not the case of my relative. Uh, I I, uh, had a very distant relationship with my father, and his words to me were, why would you ever become a pastor? You'll be poor the rest of your life. My sister doesn't talk to me at all. I'm a Jesus freak. My brother is, his main goal in life is to be a CEO. And so there's no room for Jesus. And so here I am. What's your story, church? You have a story. I bet you could come up at the end of the service and go, let me tell you how bad it got when I gave my life to Christ. And so this is what Jesus is saying. He's not telling us to hate our family. He's saying, if you're committed to follow me, get ready. You may lose your family. There will be a cost if you're truly gonna follow me. I'm not talking about having one foot into Christianity and going to church on Sunday and then living your life the way you want to the rest of the week. I'm talking a life that Jesus is talking about. He's telling the teacher of the law, he's saying, if you're truly gonna follow me, it's gonna cost you and it's gonna cost you something. And I say today, it should cost us something. Didn't it cost Jesus something for our our freedom of sin? and our home in, in heaven? Yeah, it did. And This is what Jesus is trying to say here. He's saying it will cost you something. But understand, church, when we read this passage, the gospel was never meant to divide earthly families. But if you think about it, even Jesus' brother James did not believe at first, did he? He didn't believe. His own brother was the Messiah, And Jesus is really asking here, is your allegiance to follow me? Is your allegiance to follow everyone else and everything else that life has to offer? Do you remember what he said to the two fishermen, Peter and James? He said, drop your nets and do what? Follow me. What did he say to Matthew, the tax collector that was ripping off people? Close your business, Matthew. That's not who you are anymore. Follow me. That's how he retrieved his disciples and they all had to make a decision. Look at verse 27. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. What does carrying your cross mean to us tonight if you were to define that? What does it mean? Does it mean to... Be like that guy on US 1 that carries a cross on wheels down US 1. Is that what that means? What is Jesus trying to say here? I thought about it. I feel like it's just basically, if you're going to carry a cross, it does mean denying yourself. It means that it's our call to absolutely surrender to a lifestyle of following Jesus. It's denying ourselves and denying everything and simply follow Jesus, you remember, said, for whoever wants to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life, for me, will save it. I wrote it like this. Carrying your cross means, are you willing to follow Jesus if it means losing some of your closest friends? Are you willing to follow Jesus if it means alienation from your family? Are you willing to follow Jesus if it means you lose your reputation? Are you willing to follow Jesus if it means losing your job? Are you willing to follow Jesus if it means losing your life, the old life, the old man? Because the new creation has to come in in order to follow Jesus. That's the cost of following Jesus. If you can answer yes to all of these, then you have truly considered the cost of what it means to follow Jesus Christ today. And Luke goes on, look at verse 28. He says, suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying, this person began to build and it was and wasn't able to finish. I, I was thinking of that. And the only thing that I could come up with um, to explain that for what that meant in my life is that two years ago, actually, Pastor Craig, back there, wave your hand up, Pastor Craig. Pastor Craig was leading FPU. And Pastor Mark asked all of us leaders and pastors to go through that first, and that was in January of what year, Pastor Craig? I can't remember. 17. Yeah, so in January, we all went through it. Remember, Vivian, you and Ed, all of us leaders went through it. And then we took groups and led that in the fall. You all remember that. Some of you took FPU. And I remember that I'm being honest. I didn't want to take it. I thought everything was good, and, um, you know, it's another night down here, and, and I had lots to do, and um, God really worked on my heart, and when my wife began to go through Financial Peace University, FPU, that's what that is, sorry, and when we started going through that, God really started convicting me about what we were doing with our money, and the debt that we had, and what we were going to do, and so we decided to sell our house and pay off so many bills and all of our credit cards and we were able to put ourselves into a position where we paid off the Toyota that I drive here. And, and so we were looking at what that class was teaching us and then we said, you know, we do wanna build a home Um, because the market was good and we don't know how long we're going to stay in this home, but we do know that um, the time before the market started to increase, we decided to build the home. And let me tell you what that looks like when this verse says, consider the cost before you build the tower. I'm going to say, Clues family, consider the cost before you build a home. I had to die to my flesh because my wife wanted to build the home. And when we started looking at our budget, and I'm just going to confess to you, I like to go out and get coffee. Right, John and Ann? Where's John and Ann? I love to go out and get coffee, right? Downtown coffee shop. And um, if you know a good coffee shop here in Sebastian, please tell John and Ann right here next to Rick here. Tell them where that's at because we're going to go and have coffee together. But I like certain things. Y'all have something you like, right? And, and it's just like money that you spend and you don't think about it but, it, it. but if you add that up at the end of the month, that's $90. Or what is your thing? What do you spend money on that you don't really realize? We all have that. And my wife looked at me and said, if we're going to build this house, you can't do that anymore. Man, that's dying to my flesh. Not just that, but then it's like, okay, then we can only go out to dinner as a family once a month. And we can only go, we can only go out to dinner once a month as a family, and we can only go out to dinner one time with maybe church friends, Right? And that's a cramp in, in our style and what we used to, because I like going to dinner or lunch with you guys. And we like to fellowship. That's what we do, right? We're Calvary Chapel. But the bottom line is, is that I had to consider the cost. And we had, my wife had to die to some things, and I had to die to some things. And then because we were faithful, God changes up the income picture. And, and but we had to die to some things. And I thought, that's what Jesus is saying here. Look at verse 33. He says, in the same way, those of you who do not give up, what's that word? Did I lose you? Yeah. Those of you that do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. I think that term right there is just as powerful as the word hate that we talked about. That's a serious thing. It says, give up everything. What does that mean? What that means to me is, I need to be willing to be so in love with following Jesus that when the Holy Spirit tells me that I have to do something, I have to do it. I have to run it through the filter of the word. I have to pray. We have to have peace. But whatever it is, you have to do it. And so I thought about that in my life. And I want you to think about the crossroads in your life. Go back, I don't know how many years, but we're all brought to a crossroad. And I thought about this. When Pastor Mark came to me and said, can't tell anybody, but we're praying about asking you to go down and take Sebastian. That was totally off my radar. I wasn't gunning for it. I wasn't thinking about it. I had just gotten off the boat of, we're going to Raleigh to plant a church. Raleigh, North Carolina, where it's nice and cool. (laughs) And I thought to myself, I go, there's no way. That was my first reaction. There's just no way. I'm not, no. And What would happen if I didn't say yes? Someone else would be there, here. You'd be still getting the word of God on Wednesday. But what would happen if I didn't obey Christ and God gave my wife and I peace to do that? What's your crossroad tonight? Maybe you're at a crossroad right now and God is telling you to do something. Drop everything and follow me. I want you to go and do this. When I think of that, church, I think about the times that I was at a crossroad and I told Jesus no. And I have told Jesus no. And I think about the blessings that I missed. Do you know that I'm blessed to be here tonight? I'm blessed to be here. I am happy. I saw Pastor Mark today. We had a great meeting Hadn't seen him in six weeks. He's leaving again. And I looked at him and I said, I'm really enjoying what I'm doing right now. I really like what the Spirit's doing down there. I'm excited. He goes, you weren't always like that. (laughs) I said, you're right. (laughs) High school, set up, tear down. What crossroads have you not Answered and followed God, what was the blessing that you missed out on? How important it is, church, to drop everything and follow Jesus Christ. It will cost you everything. That's what he's trying to say here. Turn back to Matthew 8, where we were. You had your finger there, Chap- chapter 8. Look at verse 21. It abruptly goes into another man. Another disciple said to him, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Now this disciple, before we talk a little bit about this, I would say that this disciple, this example, this part of the story is probably a better example that we see and face in the current church today more than ever and I'll explain why. Understand, this man wasn't asking Jesus to wait a few hours while he buries his father into the ground or find a cave or a tomb or prepare his body, and it takes longer than three hours. But he wasn't asking Jesus to wait around a few hours so that he could do that. His father was not deceased. What he was really saying is, let me live in my father's house until he passes, and then I'll follow you, Jesus. I thought about that, What does that look like today when Jesus tells us to go somewhere, do something, step up, change, follow, obey, and we say to him, let me get my affairs in order first, let me get my life straightened out, let me get my situation figured out, Jesus, and then I'll be ready to follow you. And I think that this disciple, by the indication, I think this disciple wanted to follow Jesus. He had great intentions. But he said, not yet, Jesus. Not just yet. Jesus wasn't interested in that. He's like, follow me. And so let me ask you tonight, maybe you're here listening to this podcast later on or you're truly, you're truly not following Jesus. And I'm not just talking that you don't know him or you don't have salvation or you're, you, know, you haven't received Christ your Lord and your Savior. Maybe it is that. Maybe you've never received Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, and you're truly not following him because you've never made him your Lord, but I'm just saying, church, tonight that maybe there's, there's a place that you're truly at, and you know you're not following Jesus the way he wants you to follow him, and I just simply ask you, what's stopping you tonight? What priority have you put in place that you think is more important than Jesus Christ? What's stopping you from truly obeying? And look at how Jesus responds in verse 22. But Jesus told him what? Verse 22, what'd he say? Follow me me and let the dead bury their own dead. You know, I love that statement. I love it when Jesus responds. You know, he's not begging this man to follow, is he? He's just very directly saying, today's the day. Now's the time. Let the dead bury their dead. You're supposed to follow me. He's not even sugarcoating the commitment. If you follow me, I'll make you a leader. If you follow me, I'll let you serve temporarily. He's not making deals with this guy, no. He's basically saying, come now, follow now, no excuses now. The dead will bury the dead. It's time to come. First point I want you to write down. Three points. And they all come at the end, so never fear. Point one. The wisest thing any disciple can do is follow Jesus now and wherever he leads you. That's the wisest thing. You know we see the disciples being wise because they dropped their nets. They left the tax booth and all of them said, okay, I'm called and I'm going to follow, and I'm going to do this. When I look back on my life, every time the Lord said, go here and do this, I followed, and I stepped out, and I was blessed as I told you, but the truth is, it's not always easy, and it's not always convenient, and I think that's what you need to know tonight. The cost of following Jesus is not always going to be easy in your life and in mine, and it's never, I won't say never, but oftentimes, it's not going to be convenient. And we're so used to convenience. (laughs) Go to Walmart, back up, call the number. They'll put it in your car. You don't have to shop in Walmart anymore. Hallelujah. (laughs) Now Publix is doing it. Everybody's doing it. Convenience. We're used to convenience. Following Jesus will never be convenient. You know, John chapter 12, verse 26, I have it up on the screen. It says, whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant will also be, and my Father will honor the one who serves me. You want to know where your blessing comes from? It's right there. My Father will honor you. It's that covenant commitment of following Christ and obeying him, and the blessings will flow in your life. And it's these times that if we do give them those excuses, then we're simply, we're struggling often. We're wondering why relationships aren't working. We're wondering why our finances aren't working. We're wondering why we're fearful of our health. And I'm not God, but God has a way of bringing peace when you follow him. We just unban, just forsake everything, drop everything. I got it. I'm in control, you're in obedience, things, I'll work it out. And it's just a walk of faith, isn't it, church? This is what he's trying to say. Now, the next thing that we see, some of you in your Bibles are going to say it has a title, and it, it's Jesus calms a storm, right? And, and we know this story, most of us in this room know this story, and and, and I've listened to so many pastors teach, the, you know, the storm and the waters, and I'm not going to bore you, but when I looked at this, I thought that I want to give you a little bit of perspective of how fearful these disciples really were, and I want to give you a better perceptive on this verse. Look at verse 23. Then, then he got into the boat, and his disciples did what? They followed him. And so... Um, We don't know for sure if the teacher of the law is in this boat now and went with them. We don't even know if the man stayed with his father or if he decided, okay, Jesus, I'm going to follow you. But what we do know is that the disciples did go with Jesus. Look at verse 24. Suddenly a furious storm came up on the lake so that the waves swept over the boat, but Jesus was doing what? I love that. I'm like, is that real? Was Jesus really sleeping? What a great picture of peace. Now, I want you to, and this is why I want to break it down a little bit. The village of Capernaum was right on the shore of Sea of Galilee. That's where they were. Remember, Peter is from Capernaum. Peter's mother-in-law was healed, and he, he gets done with that, and then he's talking to the crowds, and he says, get in a boat, let's go. So they're on the Sea of Galilee right now. And um, I want to I wanna put a picture up here, and I hope they're in order. Yeah, so that's a, that looks really good on that screen, by the way. So that is the Sea of Galilee, and that is the type of boat that we take out and what Pastor Mark next weekend, will, next Monday, will take out and with the team, and they will go out onto the Sea of Galilee. And um, the Sea of Galilee, I want you to notice, if you've been there, is surrounded by mountains, all the way around, and it's the waterway to get where Jesus would often cross and do his ministry, and I want you to understand the setup, and you living in Florida, you'll appreciate this, but when we were there, and we go in August because it's the least expensive, but it is the hottest month to ever go to Israel, like it is desert hot, 110, 116 hot, and what's interesting is the water, so the mountains surround up real high, all the way around the water, and the water is so low that the temperature change in the water is very, very different. And so that being Israel in the desert, the hot air comes off off those mountains and comes down into that bowl of that cold cold water. And so you can understand what happens there. When hot air meets cold air, what happens? Well, the state of Florida, okay, how much rain can we take in one month? This is exactly what happens in the summer. It is so hot in the summer that the west meets the east, bam, it starts in Orlando, and then everybody run for their life in Brevard County, in Indian River County. You know, the Noah's, you know, God built a Noah's Ark. That's what happens. This is what happens here in the region. So understand when we read this story, by the way, put up the next picture, Michelle, This is all the people on the boat. That's Pastor Mark, if you can recognize him there, the back of his head. And so you can see the other side of it. You can see how the city there, the boat pulled out of there. And it just goes forever. You can see the mountains way in the back. And it's just surrounded there. It's beautiful. The water's beautiful. We're on this boat. But let me tell you, from the time that we pulled out to the time we were on the boat, it got windy. The waves got windy. So when you see this this, uh this verse where it says that a storm violently abrupted. It's not like, I always read that scripture and said, well, what are they, stupid? Did they not see the dark clouds? You go fishing on the ocean, where's Ron, right? And it's like, it's gonna rain. Why are you taking a boat out? Well, this isn't the case here. You can take a boat out and all of a sudden, bam, like the storm happens, the waves pick up very, very quickly. Now, I also want you to notice that this, go ahead and put up the next picture um, there it is. Now, this is right on, right on an area that we went, and this is a picture of what we believe to be a boat that is just like the boat that Jesus and the disciples took out on the water when they crossed the Sea of Galilee. They can't really say it's the same boat, but they did a dig. They found this boat. What's interesting is, is that this boat, when they, when they carefully dug it up, and put it back together, they discovered that this boat is made out of 12 different types of wood. Now, this is important because back in Jesus's time, there, it shows that there was 12 different types of wood in that region within hundreds of miles that they could pull from to make this boat. There are three species of trees that are no longer anywhere near that in Israel at all. It's gone. So, when they got this boat, they identified 12 different kinds of wood. That's why they date it back to the time that Jesus had. Now, you say, okay, so what? Well, so what? This is the actual size that they found and believe the boat is. And I'm looking at that boat and I go, it's Jesus and 12 people and a storm abrupts. If you're the disciple in that boat when we read this story, are you afraid? I was half afraid in the boat. I got off the deck off the top and went and sat on the bench because the wind picked up so much. Can you imagine being in the middle of the Sea of Galilee in this? And this is where this story meets us. I think there's one other picture that they put up there. Yeah, it gives you more of the length of it. And so if I'm in that boat and I'm on the Sea of Galilee and I know that that storm erupts, they're going to be scared. Look at verse 25. The disciples went and woke him saying, Lord, save us, we're gonna drown. That's probably my response, if I'm honest. Now, who was in the boat, do you remember? Two of them were fishermen that we know. These fishermen have been in storms before in that kind of a boat, and they're saying, Jesus, if you don't do something here in my life, I'm going to drown. This is, this is not good. And these fishermen spent their lives on the water. And what we see here is these disciples, think about this. They were with Jesus. They watched him do miracles. But they didn't know if he was capable of calming the storm. And they woke him up because of their fear. I don't know if I was there. I don't know how I would respond. Maybe I'd be partially afraid. But the other part of me is I'm taking a seat as close to Jesus as I can right now during this storm. Because he's Jesus. And I heard he walked on water. So I'm going to put my arm on this guy. And I'm going to make sure if he walks on water, if this boat goes down, I'm going to be with him. I could imagine what's going on in their head. But I want you to understand... They were with the same Jesus that God gave the power and authority in heaven and on earth. Point number two, I want you to write down. A disciple who follows Jesus will waver in their faith at times, but we're to keep our eyes on Jesus. There's not one person in this church that's got it together that their faith doesn't waver. I wish I could tell you that I don't waver in faith. We all have those moments something suddenly happens. Fear and unbelief often go hand in hand, doesn't it? I find that to be true. And so these disciples, they easily forget and they focus on their own circumstances. But I'm here to say when we trust God, there's really little room left for fear. There will come a point in a trial in our lives that we will have to say, I have nothing else but God. Sometimes that should be the first thing that we say, but we know better, don't we? We're not going to pretend tonight. Me too. But when we're backs against the wall, we go, God, if you don't do something in this situation of mine, I got nowhere to go. I'm going to drown. And these disciples woke up Jesus. Isaiah 41 13 says, for I am the Lord our God who takes hold of your right hand and says to you, do not fear, for I will help you. Look at verse 26. Jesus replied, you have little faith, why are you so afraid? And then he got up and rebuked the winds and the waves, and it was completely calm. I'm so glad that Jesus didn't rebuke them too harshly. Save your rebuking for the storm, Jesus. Talk to us later. Just get this boat to stop rocking, Right? I don't have my Dramamine, but he rebuked the waves. Jesus went from sleeping to commanding the waves to be still. Yet another miracle directly in front of the 12 disciples. That's the fourth miracle in one day that these disciples saw. Well, how did they respond to that? Look at verse 27. The men were so amazed and asked, what kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. I think that's a verse in a song that we sing. It's probably an oldie but goodie. But I want to answer that. What kind of man is this, they said. and I simply want to answer it. Jesus is a man who is the son of God. Jesus was with God when God called the dry ground, land, and he gathered the waters, and he called the seas. It's documented in Genesis 1.10. Jesus was with God when he formed the water and the earth. And Jesus was given all authority on heaven and earth. And David, the psalmist, got it right prophetically when he said in Psalm eighty-nine, nine, he says, you rule the raging of the sea, and when the waves rise, you still them. That's who Jesus Christ is in our lives when there's a storm. Last point that I want you to write down, and then we're going to pray. A disciple who follows Jesus will experience him with awe and with wonder. Let me say that again. You need to to know that. A disciple who chooses to truly follow Jesus will experience him with awe and all wonder. Some of you have experienced God on wonder. It's a beautiful thing, isn't it? That's what increases our faith. That's what solidifies our relationship with Him. And quite frankly, church, that's what takes place in your hearts so that no one can talk you out of the gospel. And that's what's going to sustain you when the days get tougher. And they will get tougher and you will be challenged in the years to come, and things are going to change. And I simply say to you tonight, church, it will cost you, but it's so worth it to follow him and to truly obey him. Why don't we stand? And we're gonna pray just to close this out. Would you bow your heads with me? God, we come to you tonight, and we stand here tonight before you, and we pray in faith. God, we, we know that storms will come, and storms will rage in our lives, and Jesus, thank you for reassuring us that you and you alone is all we need Lord, for those that are here tonight and maybe they're in a storm and maybe it's raging and maybe they even feel like they're drowning. Lord, we ask you to calm our waters that may surround us and try to engulf us. Lord, we ask you tonight that, you would, that we would be still as you work in our midst. Lord, we want to stand in awe and of wonder of you. And Lord, we are ready to follow you tonight. Father, help us with our faith and may our faith increase daily. And Lord, finally, if there's anyone here tonight or listening on this podcast, if they've never truly chosen you as their Lord and Savior, they don't even know what it's like to follow you, Lord, I pray that you would lead them in that prayer of salvation. Lord, I pray that they would come up and see me tonight or talk to Pastor Craig and just say, I'm truly not following. Lord, for those in the room that, well, they know that they're they're not truly following you in a way that it cost them nothing. Lord, I just trust that your Holy Spirit would do the work. They know who they are. And God, you're a God that forgives. But you're also a God, as you said in this story, you just said, the dead will bury the dead. Some people in here tonight need to bury their dead. The dead life, the dead lifestyle, the dead habit, the things that are limiting to them from your glory and from your blessing. So Lord, I pray that you would gently and lovingly come alongside them, work that out, that they would truly from this day forward follow you And we praise you for what you're going to do. Thank you so much for the love that people receive here. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. We ask that you never remove the Holy Spirit from this church. We ask that you protect this church. We ask that we would give an account and be responsible to make you Lord and number one and nothing else. So that when you do bring those into this place, that they will leave encouraged, knowing that they've just spent an hour with you. Thank you, Lord, for what you're doing. We love you. We cherish you. And we thank you for going to the cross. Help us to carry our cross, Lord. And we pray this in your name and everyone's name. Amen. God bless you guys. Thank you for listening to the Calvary Chapel Sebastian podcast channel. If this message impacted your life, we encourage you to share it with a friend. We're located at 1251 Sebastian Boulevard, just northeast of intersection 90th Avenue and State Road 512 in Sebastian, Florida. Our service times are Saturday evening at 6 p.m., Sunday morning at 1045 a.m., and Wednesdays at 630 p.m. I don't throw them away, not happening, not happening.